Welcome to the Mike on Much podcast. I am your host, Mike Veerman, and I am here with my friend and trusted producer, Max Kerman. Max, how's it going? I'm doing great. Also here with our pop culture, pop culture aficionado. I, I, did, did I do that right? <laughs> yep. Pop culture. Pop culture. Pop culture aficionado, Shane Cunningham. How's it going? Good. Guys, a lot going on. I don't think all three of us have been in the same room since we last recorded a podcast together. Save it. We just save it. We can't even look at each other for <laughs> not recording. It's true. I meant to text you guys um, last night, but I figured I'd just tell you. Um, last night I went to see Mother with Lauren. <laughs> nice. And I, you know, it was, and I thought very well done. Of course. And I hated every single second <laughs> of it. <laughs> I was like, and, I, and here's the thing, I knew what it was about. Mm-hmm. And I. We prepped you. It, it, well, you told me what everything, everything was going to happen. And I still hated it. It made me so uncomfortable. It was, and I was talking to Lauren about it. Spoiler alert for anybody who wants to see Mother, Darren Yanavowski. How do you say it? Aronofsky. Not like Aronofsky. that. <laughs> <laughs> You're and, trying too hard on and, that last name. And, and Jennifer Lawrence. No, no, no. It's Lorenz. Lorenz. <laughs> 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 but it, the movie's like a nightmare. It's literally, it's like, if you have a nightmare and you're like, I don't know exactly where it was, but it was a house in the country, but there's no roads leading to it. It's a good way to describe it. Oh, and the, and like every shot is like shaky. And you know, also as a guy- No who, wide shots in that movie. No wide shots, there you go. Uh, which added to the- Claustrophobia. Claustrophobia. And um, as a guy who likes getting attention and some accolades, you know, you when the, you see yourself a little bit in Javier Bardem's character. <laughs> just like looking in a mirror. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey now. Uh, and then like Lauren kind of like to me looks a little bit like Jennifer Lawrence. And there's been times in my mind where I've like, you know, maybe not much, but maybe wanted to go, oh, okay, let me, let me go say hi to this person who's interested in talking to me about my work. You know, yeah. And so I just there's too many parallels. Uh, that was making me feel squeamish. And then, yeah. <laughs> Have you ever had a fan like swing by your place? No, 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 no. no never. Cool. And I, I, mean, I like to think I, you know, wouldn't be offering our newborn uh, to, <laughs> to, to, to a crowd of people waiting in the living room. To your, your adoring audience. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, I hated it. I, yeah, I hated <laughs> what were her thoughts? Yeah. What was the conversation like after the film? We were both in weird moods and stuff. Oh, I mean, the other conversation was like, by the way, because I didn't even tell Lauren I'd, I'd heard about the movie. I was like, uh, Shane and Alex saw that movie, and that's the worst part. I don't know how you didn't walk out of the movie immediately once it started getting weird. Well, it was like $13 a ticket, you know? <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Alex actually ended up liking that film. <sighs> Although it was jarring and a crazy film to see, like, you know, it kind of permeates a few days later, and you end up thinking, like, oh, maybe it actually was a really great movie. Yeah. So. No, it was really well done. It was an original work of art. But Did Lauren enjoy it? Uh, she, she said it was like a nightmare. It was like well, really well done, but it was like a nightmare. She was like, "It's like being in a relationship with you." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> probably that's probably what she meant. <laughs> Other than that, what else is going on, fellas? You actually, Max, you just uh, you played a Neil Young induction into the yeah. Four acts were getting inducted to the Canadian Songwriters Hall of Fame. Yeah, and this has been on the calendar for a little bit, and um, we've been so busy that I hadn't really thought about it much. But it was actually, it turned out to be a really beautiful night. Um, the first thing I did when we found out we were going to play this gig, we were going to play a couple songs for Neil Young, who was supposed to be in attendance, was I called my old friend Aaron Goldstein. And I met Aaron uh, on a go bus in 2005. I was like 17 years old, going from Hamilton to Toronto to see North by Northeast shows. And I was one of the go buses, uh, you know, 6 p.m. on a Friday when it's really packed. And I was standing in the aisle with Mike D. This was just as the band was starting. And we were talking about different bands we were going to check out. And then Goldstein, who was a couple years older than me, but was sitting on the bus, piped in and was like, oh, you like Joel Plaskett? And then we started up a friendship from there. And Goldstein, about a year later, and we'd started hanging out, and he would bring us over just to play Neil Young songs. And, and he had vinyl, and he was like educating us on Neil Young and his pedal steel guitarist, Ben Keith. A year later, because of Ben Keith, Goldstein learned how to play pedal steel and has since gone on to tour with Cowboy Junkies, City in Color, He's played with every singer-songwriter in Ontario. He's the pedal steel guy. He's now. the pedal steel guy, and he, and he is also the best guy. Like, I just really love being around him. So you just you had a bus ride with this guy, and then you're just at the end of it, you're like, "Hey, this was so great. Like, could I have your number?" Yeah. Like, wow. Like, like 18 years old. He's like, we just had so much in common immediately. Mm-hmm. And he actually recorded the first like few Charlemagne, which is the old name of Arkells like uh, EPs and stuff. Like, nobody knew what they were doing. So you have this long history relationship with yeah. Aaron. Yeah, and, and he has a studio now in Toronto, Baldwin Street Sound, uh, or Street Studios. 
And so anyway, long story short, I, uh, I called him and I was like, Goldie, you're playing pedal steel with us at this gig. And so we got to share the stage with him. And like literally the reason why he has so much affection and passion for that kind of music is because of Neil Young. Right. And um, What's his big song, Heart of Gold? <laughs> <laughs> That's one of them. He's yeah. got a lot of them. He's, really? He's very Keep on rocking in the free world. Oh, yeah. Cinnamon I know Girl. One. I don't know that one. Uh, you'd probably recognize I'm it. Still in love with you. No. I want to see you Harvest Moon. there. Harvest Moon. Yeah. Oh, okay, no. Anyway. It was uh, Bruce Coburn was also being inducted to the Hall of Fame. Who oh, who's that? <laughs> I don't know who that is. Honestly. Bruce Coburn is a beloved Canadian singer-songwriter. Lovers in a Dangerous Time. He okay, wrote, he wrote I, that I thought the Bare Naked Ladies did that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. You know way more Neil Young songs. You do. Okay. Neil who's bigger, Hed- him or uh, Blonde Guy? Tom Petty. <laughs> 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 Papa Culture's losing it a little bit. <laughs> I mean, they're both probably equally big. Okay. I don't know. So um, the the day arrives, and you realize there's like you know hundreds of people working on this show, and the fact that Neil Young is showing up is a big deal because Neil Young hasn't lived in Canada in years, and he's sort of a reclusive guy. He doesn't like. He's not a guy who shows up to everything. Let's put it that way. And um, you get to Massey Hall, which is a legendary place, and there's so many people working on it, and it kind of hits you like, oh, this is actually kind of a big deal. Like, I hadn't even really thought about it. To be honest, I was annoyed. I was missing Peak's wedding and my college roommate Dave Friesen's wedding. Yeah, they were the- both falling on this day, which I'm sure we'll get to. Peak's Two big wedding. weddings on Saturday. Big- night. And I was just mostly annoyed that I couldn't go to the weddings. But then when you get there, you're like, <laughs> oh, yeah, like we're playing for Neil Young. So in Soundcheck, um, the, the, big, uh, the big thing for our two songs, we had two special guests. For a cinnamon girl, Alex Lifeson from Rush. Yeah. They do thank you very much, Mr. Roboto, right? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> no? No. Yeah. No? Yeah, that's that, that's them. Um, so we run Cinnamon Girl, and it sounds awesome. Uh, and then for Keep on Rocking the Free World, Randy Bachman comes out. And uh, do you know what he does? Boys are back in town. <laughs> Isn't it? No. No? <laughs> he's just taking care of business, though. Oh, I always mix yeah. those up. So uh, Soundcheck goes awesome. And um, the show begins in the evening. And uh, It's pretty sweet that you got rocked in the free world. That's like one of the biggies. We got Those were the two, the two final songs. Yeah. So basically it was going to go, Neil, Randy Bachman was going to induct Neil Young into the Hall of Fame. Uh, Neil's going to do a speech. We go on stage and rock the final two songs. And so that's what happens. Uh, wow. Neil Young goes back to his seat. He's sitting like fourth row. He couldn't get first row tickets? He couldn't get first <laughs> row tickets. <laughs> no, actually, the first few rows at Massey are kind of not good. Oh. So, you know, they're a little tight to the stage. Hot tip, listeners. And um, we do it. And it's just weird because Neil Young is like literally smiling at us and singing along to his song. It really? Very surreal. So we finished Cinnamon Girl. And well, then wait, 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 wait. So do you hold eye contact with him? A little bit. I mean, I kind of you Are you intimidated? Him, sort of work in the whole room, but I also want to, you know. Were you tempted to sneak over for the fist bump? For the, for the fist bump. No, but no. what I did was I was like, it would be so cool if he came on stage and rocked out with us. Yeah. And apparently someone had told me that his amp was on stage, like ready to go in the event that he wanted to do it. So I kind of went off the mic. I kind of went to the front of the stage uh, before we went into Rockin' in the Free World. And I was kind of like, do you want to play? Like kind of signaling with my hands, the guitar signal, the mm-hmm. international guitar signal. But it kind of looks like a jerk-off symbol. Yeah, too, when you, you do it <laughs> after the show. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he, I don't know if he quite understood or if he just didn't want to, but he was like, no. But then, so I was like, okay. But I knew I'd kick myself if I didn't at least ask. And also as a performer, who knows? Maybe he's itching to get up there. I know if I go to any show, I'm always thinking in the back of my mind, I wonder if there's a chance I can go up on stage. <laughs> uh, so anyway, Bachman comes out. And then the whole cast basically comes out, like Tom Wilson from Hamilton, Blacker and the Rodeo Kings, Katie Lang is in the chorus. Like it, it was, and so that was how the whole show ended, and it was epic, and everybody was on their feet because the whole show, everyone was sitting, but for our two songs, everyone was on their feet, rocking out. Yeah. So it was, it was really actually awesome. Night. So are you on cloud nine after this show? Yeah, that sounds amazing. So yeah. then afterward, I mean, was there any interaction off stage with uh, Neil? Okay, so what happens was they were like, okay, Neil's gonna come down for photos. He's a photographer. <laughs> <laughs> Obvious joke. Um, <laughs> I didn't get anything from Shane on that one. <laughs> I, my, my mind isn't working today, guys. <laughs> so yeah, so he's a, Neil's gonna take photos with with the band, so with everybody who performed. But then they have it downstairs in the Massey Hall like bar area, and so there was way too many people sort of loitering loitering about waiting for Neil. That was like, there's no way we're actually gonna get a chance to, to take a photo with Neil because as soon as he entered the room, everyone he got swarmed. swarmed yeah. 
And it was very obnoxious. I'll say this. This is like you're in this is one of those things where you're in the middle of a conversation with somebody and then everyone just like walks away and walks towards Neil. <laughs> so I was like, oh, this is not happening. Did so, Neil have security or how yeah, did he Yeah, he had a bunch of people that? with him and stuff. He's actually he's dating Daryl Hannah now. You know the actress? Yeah, yeah. she's been in uh, Frank D'Angelo films. Well, there you go. Wow, it all comes full circle. Well, yeah. I did not know that. So she was there with him. Best Daryl Hannah film. Uh, I, I like Sicilian know. Vampire myself. <laughs> Sicilian Vampire. <laughs> I don't even know. She's in the original Blade Runner. Yeah, I just saw that. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, I, I, she does a movie called Crazy People with Dudley Moore, mm-hmm. where Dudley Moore is an advertising executive uh, that loses his mind, and so he goes to like an institution. It's an '80s movie. Okay. I don't even know if you could make this movie these days, but he goes there and he starts realizing that uh, the people in the institution that have are a little bit crazy, if you will, have great ideas for advertisements. So he starts using their ideas for advertisements, and then he falls in love with Daryl Hannah. Anyway, got off track. Uh, Splash would be the one people know her from the most, though. Oh, okay, there you go. Tom yeah. Hanks movie. Tom Hanks movie. She's a mermaid. She was there. It was cool. So tell me, though, I haven't heard really heard anything about the wedding, though, because I missed Peak's wedding. Well, it's funny you say that. I think we're going to get around to more wedding stuff in the dessert. Okay, cool. Before we get there, we are actually currently in Just for Laughs for Toronto. There's been shows all last weekend. There's more shows this weekend. Uh, we had Mike Birbiglia on last week. His big show is this Friday, so check it out. That was an awesome interview, by the way. Ah, I loved him. Yeah. He was great. Um, and we've heard that, actually, from a lot, a lot of A lot of good listeners. feedback. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so thanks again to Mike for being on the show. This uh, Friday, as well as Mike's show, I'm hosting a letter Kenny, uh, live table read of one of their scripts in a Q&A at the Bell Light Box. Come say hi. Um, but as part of this, one of the other things I did was I ended up doing an in-conversation with uh, the two gals from the podcast, Guys We F***ed, Christina and Corinne. And it was fascinating because I've never really done something like that ever. Like I just, you know, Max, like now that we do this pod, people started asking me to do these things. Mm-hmm. And so our philosophy is kind of like, just say yes to things. And I'm kind of one of those guys that's like, I'll try it and see if it works, you know? And the closest thing I did was in Montreal, I did kind of a, a sort of Q&A with a panel of much digital creators. Mm-hmm. But this was much more different where we had to sort of like prep questions and you prepped a bunch of questions, Max. Actually, Shane, you talked to your wife, Alex. She sent questions. Um, our friend Andrea sent questions. So it was really cool to kind of like source a bunch of that stuff. I listened to a bunch of episodes uh, and it was just, it was a fascinating thing to do for me because, you know, one, it was supposed to be at the Second City stage here in Toronto. Mm-hmm. So already I'm kind of like, I put in a full day of work and I'm like, okay, I got to go do this thing. It starts at like five or whatever. My itinerary says Bell Lightbox. So I'm like, oh, they changed the venue. So I go to Bell Lightbox and I'm like, hi, I'm here for the panel. And they're like, we don't really know what you're talking about. <sighs> and I'm like, now I'm panicking because I'm like, I need to meet them within like 10 minutes. So I'm trying to get a hold of the organizer. Finally, she's like, oh, sorry, it's a typo. <laughs> oh, God. I'm like, I'm it's trying like, to I'll be- I'll kill you. Yeah, I'm trying to be a pro here. So I run over to the uh, Second City Theater. Uh, I meet Corinne and Christina. And so like for them, they kind of just fly in. And I guess they're, you know, they're pros. They do this thing. They're cool with talking. But for me, I'm, I'm trying to be prepped. I'm trying to be prepared. And it's like, are we going to kind of hang out for 15 minutes before and get to know each other and get like a vibe? But it's very much like, you know, Christina, Corinne, this is Mike, Mike, Christine, Corinna. Hey, how's it going? You know, and then we start talking about, I try to let them know how it's going to be laid out. They let me know how many audience questions they're going to take. So it's really all happens like on the fly. And then before you know it, you're walking out on stage in front of like a room full of paying customers that are, that are fans of theirs that want to see. So is your heart like beating out of your chest or are you fairly calm at this point? Uh, pretty like calm. Like, here's the thing. Like all the prep is the part where I'm kind of like, do we have enough material? Is it going to lay out? Blah, 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 blah. The minute I get into the room and in their company, you just kind of said, cause then it's just people. It's always just people. That's the thing. It's like, it's always a bigger deal in your brain when it's like, oh, we're going to sit down with like Richard Linklater or like Edgar Wright or someone, you know? And then the minute you get in the room, you're like, oh, yeah, like, you're just a person. But that's what makes you good, though, is, is the fact that you over-prepare, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, and, and just, like, the way that you settle in and you just feel like you're having a conversation. So get backstage. We start talking. Super nice. Uh, Corinne was, like, incredibly nice. She was asking about the podcast. I was talking to her about, you know, her intern experience. She interned at Conan O'Brien, all that stuff. Um, and then Christina came back in. She was great. And so we had about, like, five minutes of kind of backstage banter to sort of develop a rapport somewhat. And then before I knew it, dude's like, all right, and from the Mike How Much podcast, blah, blah, blah. And you're like backstage. And I didn't really know what to do because you're behind the curtain. And the two girls are behind me because they obviously are the big stars. And so they they bring me up first. They're like, from the Mike How Much podcast, Mike Veerman. And then people clap. And I just like turned back to the girls for like kind of the bottom of the stage steps. And I just winked. Like as if like, <laughs> showtime. Like, I don't know. I've never done this before. So I kind of winked and then jumped on stage with my clipboard of shit and... 
whatever walk on, introduce the girls. Uh, and yeah, it was pretty good. Um, I don't know. It was weird in the moment. I didn't know really how to feel. And Shane awesomely ran down from work because we had a meeting. Yeah, I, I think I missed maybe the first two minutes. But and I had seen a bunch of these like in my life, like with a TIFF events or um, like just random Q&A's at, at weird theater events. And they're always not very good for some reason. I don't know why, <laughs> but I find the person asking the questions, it's always missing the mark a little bit. Um, but this one, it was like not just saying that because I'm, I'm your friend, uh, but this was like the best one I've ever seen. It went so well, so smooth. You were like so prepared. It, it was like you didn't even need to really look at your notes. And I don't know. I felt like everyone in that theater, it was almost disappointing that it wasn't like a bigger theater just so more people could have seen it. But I felt like everyone was like blown away by how funny and good it was. And then the thing I think about- that's very kind of you. Thanks, Shane. And, and you no, know, but it's, it's honestly true. Like it was so good. And it's hard when you're there to know. And then so when I left and I got out of this theater, Shane's like on his phone. I'm like, hey, man, he's like. He was really nice, and you like, and I was like, oh man. Then he started getting me like more hyped about it. You know, you got the feeling, the euphoria. Yeah, and it's like all of these things. We talk about this all the time, and I think this is for anybody that kind of does things uh, or tries to, I don't know, accomplish things or agrees to do things or says yes to things. Is there's a moment where you always go, oh, why did I agree to do this? It's causing me stress, and you're freaked out. But it it never, it always is worth it because afterward, the like the rush of like accomplishing something or like challenging yourself to do something is always like you just want to like jump around and kind of like bump yeah. chests and shit like that <laughs> and so you forget about the fact that like you know the two days leading up you're like oh god i gotta listen to like three hours of this i've got to like research i've got to ask questions. all of that stuff sheds away once you're done and you get the high and i think you you know you get on stage all the time yeah. and you do that sort of thing like we've hosted a million things oh my god yeah and it, i've been there when they've absolutely bombed <laughs> so i know how good it feels when it goes well like, yeah we did that mmva thing and i couldn't have felt worse i hid in the washroom for two hours yeah but it was funny because when you walked out of the uh, theater i was like oh my god like i'm all pumped and i'm telling you how good it was and you seemed like a total pro in the thing but the way i was acting was almost like you'd never done anything like that <laughs> but all the people who attended it are listening to me like praise mike as we're walking out <laughs> And then a woman's like, yeah, you were really good. <laughs> it was a little embarrassing. Yeah, like my cover was blown as like yeah, kind of like, like uh, your proud dad or something like that. Well, yeah. and then Mike's like, oh, I learned, uh, I was listening to a thing and it said never comment. At, oh, oh. At, yeah. So this is actually interesting. I wanted to bring this up. Actually, I told this to Daniel. So I, I follow Lin-Manuel uh, yeah, yeah. on Twitter. He's the guy that created Hamilton, big mm-hmm. playwright. And he had tweeted literally the day before. He said, our th- our family has a three-block rule. He goes, whenever we see a show at the theater, like on Broadway or anywhere in New York, because they live in New York, I believe, um, he says, we have a three-block rule. So we see a show, he goes, and then we leave the show, and we don't share our thoughts, good or bad, for three blocks, because you never know whose family is in the audience. You never know whose friends are, like, following you, like, as you leave the theater. Like, just meaning, like, if you have... Of course. If you think something didn't go well, don't say it. If you think something went well, great, but they just don't discuss it for three blocks until they're three blocks away from the theater. So I was saying that to Shane, but... Of course, we immediately broke that rule and we're talking about it. <laughs> in the lobby. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was, yeah, I was walking down the street. But I don't know. It went cool. Uh, I, I really enjoy doing these things. Going to do another one on Friday uh, with Letter Kenny. Watch, it'll be a huge disaster now yeah. that our listeners are listening. <laughs> like, never but, again. Uh, keep, the, uh, you know, just keep doing them. Yeah, the band also has a, a van talk rule. Anything that shouldn't be, like, spoken, like, around the venues, like, save for the van. Anything because you know we're inevitably talking shit about the promoter or the opening venue act. or the opening act or something. <laughs> yeah, so uh, save, save it for the van. Save it for the van. Yeah, so van, like, van talk. Actually, another thing we do is sort of related, a little different. But after shows, like with the, of our own shows, we are, no one says anything that could be even constructive. Like fo- immediately following it, it can only be nice things. So we're like good show, good show. That was a good, good job. Mm-hmm. Anything that went wrong during the show can be addressed the next morning because you just have so much adrenaline after you yeah. don't want to hear anything that's like oh that was a good show but do you do you ever think about it? I, like, I don't hear that shit right now yeah you know? so it's another piece of advice for young bands is do not talk about the show uh until the next morning do you still get adrenaline after every show oh yeah yeah, yeah. One last thing. Uh, I just want to say thanks to uh, Corinne and Christina for being awesome because it does take, it's like a tennis match. If they hit a ball, I got to hit it back. They got to hit it back because those mm-hmm. things those things sometimes go bad because the moderator or sometimes because of the guest. So they were great. Uh, two, Christina used to intern at SNL Ooh. and she was sleeping with a cast member. Did she say which one? She wouldn't say which one it was. Ooh. And my big plan was to go backstage. Whoa, which one is this? The blonde? Uh, the blonde. Yeah, did you miss that whole bit? Yeah, that must have been right off the top. I was talking about like her internship Damn. at SNL and uh, yeah. 
I was like, Whoa. I was like, did you talk to any of the cast members? And her and Corinne both started laughing. And I was like, well, what are you laughing about? And it's like, and then she told guys, some stories. Mm-hmm. <laughs> guys, we fucked. I bet it was Fred Armisen. <laughs> he I wasn't bet. in the cast at that point. You sure? Yeah. Mulaney? <laughs> I have to go back and look. He's never, he's not in the cast either. He's a writer. Uh, that's right. Um, but anyway, they were great. Um, and speaking of Just for Laughs, today on the show, we have Andy Kindler and Ari Shafir. Is that how you say Shafir? I think so, yeah. Yeah, that's how I'm going to say it. Shafir? Mm-hmm. No, it's Shafir. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, again, these took place in Montreal about a month ago, a little bit longer now, I'm not quite sure. But uh, you guys, in the uh, Hyatt mm-hmm. bar area, right by the old comedy logo uh, from our the channel here on Bell Media Comedy Network, and Andy Kindler, you... How would you describe Andy Kindler, Shane? He's like... Oh. He's like J.R. Tiggs, if you know. Like, he has the gift of gab, but he's like, jeez. Uh, How would you describe him, Mikey? <laughs> <laughs> Andy Kindler is somewhat infamous. So he does this uh, thing called the State of the Industry, or the State of Our Industry, at the Montreal uh, Just for Laughs Festival. And he basically gets up there, and he kind of roasts and takes the piss out of all these famous comedians. Like, he sort of famously made fun of Louis C.K. Uh, he's made fun of... Uh, he took on Ricky Gervais mm-hmm. uh, to the point where Gervais, like, blocked him and calls him a stalker. And he antagonizes people to get more fame, basically. That's his whole M.O. Is, like, the way that he might be viewed. But he was very honest about... And his comedy can be very angry and kind of, like, you know, raging against the world. And so he speaks about a lot of that stuff. I think you get a good insight into to who Andy Kindler is. Um, as I think it's all an act, though, even though he is saying... All these things. He's just doing it to the most famous person, and he's being pretty transparent that he's doing it to kind of start a feud to, yes, boost himself. He's a veteran comic. He was on the show Everybody Loves Raymond. He's had a long sort of go in history, so he's fascinating to listen to. Do, do we? Are we going to mention how the Ari interview came? Yeah, from? let's be real. So, uh, yeah, we're just sitting down, uh, Mike and I. Like we had just finished Natasha Lajario, and we're just kind of talking how it went pretty well and how we liked her, or whatever. And then this guy just sits down. In front of us, he's like, uh, yeah, are you, you going to interview me? And, and, and Mike and I are like, uh, we can. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like sure. Did but you recognize him? I, I did. I, I, I did a doc a few years ago. Mark mm. Myers directed. Yeah. I, was, I was just in it. And he was one of the people in the yeah, doc okay. this five years prior. So I had some background knowledge. And he knows uh, Patrick Coppolino, if you know him. Ham- oh, yeah, yeah. Hamilton Comet. Yeah. So I did have... Some straws to grasp at if we were forced to do this interview, which, uh, you know, it was clearly a mix up with this. It was supposed to be with someone else. He was just supposed to do like a quick tag for like comedy. And that was it. But we didn't want to embarrass him. I guess that's what now is for. And (laughs) (laughs) and so we just went along with it. Mike's like, hey, I'm I'm a pro. Let's let's do it. Like hit record. And we just did it. And I, I think it was interesting. But if it seems like. We don't really have our shit figured out. It's because we don't. You knew him a bit more than I did. Yeah. And you you mentioned that uh, he was on Joe Rogan's podcast a lot. Yeah, he's friend, He's good friends with Joe Rogan. Yeah. And there was some. Didn't wasn't there a feud with well, Mencia? Uh, yeah, Carlos Mencia was stealing some of his jokes, and there's mm. this clip that went viral where Joe Rogan kind of. It's very interesting. I would look it up right now, actually, if you're uh, listening to this. Um, where Joe Rogan confronts Carlos Mencia, how he's. Uh, stealing all these people's jokes because Carlos thinks he can get away with it because he he was stealing lower level comedians jokes but Joe Rogan's pretty big so for Joe to come out there and call him out and then it went viral and kind of ruined Carlos's career actually he's never been employable since so we talked to Ari about that we talked to Andy about uh, his wars with other comedians have a listen should we get to it let's get to it I want to start by saying I've done three interviews today, and I've been eating the same blueberry muffin throughout. You're just picking at it as you go. I'm picking at it, and I'm trying to do this thing where you talk with food in your mouth, but no one can see it. I haven't perfected it yet. And this, I, I think that this might be the thing that ventriloquists do. <laughs> as they learn, they eat a muffin, they start with that, and then years later, racist puppets like Jeff Dunham. <laughs> <laughs> um, are you thinking of becoming a ventriloquist? Is this, is this prep? You're excellent at that. That's unbelievable. Was that him? Yeah. Uh, Uh, I can't. The the old joke is that they would say, I can't breathe because they can't say breathe. (laughs) The the beat, yeah. The one guy who's amazing, I don't know why I'm bringing this up, but Jay Johnson. Okay. Used to be on soap. 
years ago. So, like with the Billy, Billy Crystal, Crystal show? With Billy Crystal. Okay. He is the most amazing. He literally, you can't see his lips move. All right. And But then but then all of a sudden, though, I know with Ventrilo's at one point you go, but then you get, okay, that's good, but now what else? Yeah, well, the joke's got to be good. The puppet yeah. needs to have some good material. Um, the puppet needs that. Yeah. Uh, I want to start by saying that uh, you are in a film that Shane is on in. On Netflix. On Netflix. Yeah. Uh, five years ago, we interviewed you. And yeah. then did we... you send me a link or something? Or probably did. Yeah, it's called What's Delivery. It called? Oh, I, will I get to see it? Or it's on Canadian Netflix. It was on American Netflix for a week, and then they realized that wasn't part of the deal we made with Netflix, so they took it off American Netflix. But since you're here, you could probably see it. Oh, I could download it or something. Yeah, like that. Delivery. Now, what, what was it about? It was about life, death, loss, and stand-up comedy. <laughs> that's, I think that's I remember the that interview. A guy was yeah. having a baby, and so he wanted to confront his fears before a baby came, and he was he, the idea of doing stand-up terrified him. So my buddy Shane here, our friend Mark, they went out and did stand-up, and they solicited advice from comics. Wow. Yeah. So you're a talking head in the film. You give great Thank advice. God. And then what is that? Hey! <laughs> <laughs> so you're happy with the way it came out? Yeah. Oh, I, I got to see this. You can but, see the trailer on YouTube for sure. Yeah, but you yeah. should be, I should have had, a, you, I should be here, there should be a DVD, a gift basket I think for we me. contacted everyone, but yeah, it's hard but to get a response me. from all the famous people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I, uh, that's great. All right, well, watch that. I need more exposure. Well, we'll okay, well, speaking of exposure, and because we're at Just for Laughs, I wanted to start with your, uh, the history of your state of the industry addresses. Okay, cool. So how did that come about originally? Is I don't it, like to talk about myself, but let's launch into it. <laughs> this is year 21? Uh... It's year, I first came to the festival in 1993. Okay. So it's 24 years. Wow. And then I, um, I didn't come back in 1994, and Bruce Hills, who's the festival head, he told me, don't expect to come back here every year. It, we don't do that. But, you know, like he was saying it not, not in a mean way. <laughs> hey, you're going to be here <laughs> once. No, but he meant, like, that's just what they do. But when I came back in 95, I had written an article in... Uh, in National Lampoon, it was called the Hack Comics Handbook. And it was uh, uh, how to be a bad comic. And with all these formulas, like uh, you're half this ethnic persuasion, you're half that ethnic persuasion, and when you put them together, this, you know, or anything's funny on with an attitude, and it's even funnier on steroids. Mm -hmm. So steroids are just vitamins with an attitude. So I did a demonstration here in 1995 with uh, Blaine Kapach, Patton Oswalt, Brian Posehn, all these comics, uh, really great comics, part of the alternative movement in L.A. at that time, and we just demonstrated hack comedy, and it w went really, really well. And then the next year, Bruce Hills asked me to come back and do something else, and that's when my manager came up with the idea of Stay of the Industry. In 96, we started it. I mean, I really had no idea that it would keep going. I had no idea. And there's been a lot of ups and downs. There's been some years I've uh, wept afterwards. Why did you weep? Well, once we did it in this hotel, in that room over there, yeah, long and narrow room, like the people in the back couldn't even see me unless they were watching a monitor. Gotcha. And I died. It was terrible. Yeah. I did had, you actually weep, or is you, are you kidding? I did cry after that, right. but not in front of the people. <laughs> I've cried a few times in comedy. I cried. I was in a duo. I cried the very first time I did a set on my own because uh, I bombed so badly. It's embarrassing to bomb when you b first bomb. Uh, you, is there any bombing anymore now that you're so experienced? Yeah, there is. Well, like even last night, I was at the Cafe Cleopatra, and I was opening up for Brian Callen. And the crowd, you know, I, it's actually good for my uh, not being too uh, narcissistic is that I, I've, you know, the crowds have gotten better here all the time. And when I used to come in the 90s, the crowds could be really tough. Even the crowds can still be tough for TV taping and stuff. But at the Cafe Cleopatra, they didn't, they didn't know who I was. And like my first joke was, uh, this is not my first rodeo, is how I uh, uh, answered on the questionnaire at my second rodeo when they asked me how many previous rodeos I've attended. <laughs> Nothing. And so I was like, I realized then that, that now that comedy really is marketed better you have less experiences where people don't know the style. Mm -hmm. But in this case, these people could not possibly understand what would be funny about that. You know? <laughs> They're just staring fit, at you. It wouldn't yeah. fit into that. Rodeo humor doesn't play here. What's that? Yeah. Rodeo humor doesn't rodeo. play here. Hey, I was wondering. Now, uh, this would be the stupidest question you ever heard, but the word rodeo is used, right? That phrase yeah. is very popular. It's, oh, okay. it's, they should have got it 100%. Yeah. I want to fuck with them. Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh. They, yeah, we don't have rodeos here. Uh, 
Yeah, well, okay, so speaking of the state of the industry, you have a reputation for sharing, some might say, unkind opinions yes. of, of other comedians. Uh, that approach uh, is rare among comedians for a variety of reasons. What is your thought process when you write those jokes? Well, uh, my thought process is I've gone through a lot of changes, and not to get heavy, but I, I, I started taking... Um, uh, for, I didn't realize that for a long time I, how much anxiety I had. Not anxiety like I'm um, panic attacks, but from OCD, I have OCD. So I was, so, and part of the OCD was uh, wondering if people like me, which is so weird because I'll say these things, but I'll also want people to like me. So now I'm on like anti, uh, like on Prozac, and I feel a lot, uh, I feel better about myself in general. But uh, before I started to feel better about myself, I would agonize and I would have to, I couldn't accept that I would do these mean things and that it was okay to do them. In other words, I felt like it had to be Adam Carolla, who I don't like, or it had to be uh, Opie and uh, Anthony, who I don't like. Uh, so that I, and sometimes I would get very mad like, at companies and stuff, and so, you know, righteously mad. Yep. But now I realize uh, that I, I have to let that part go. It's kind of like a roast. And, uh, and in fact, the jokes that are most effective are roasty-type jokes. But um, I just have to accept that what I'm doing is going to make some people mad and I don't want to get beaten up. And also, I'm also saying to myself, well, is this target worth it? Because sometimes I will go after target and I'll mm -hmm. say, no, it's not worth it to go after this what person. Makes it, like, what do you mean not worth it? Well, I'll give you an example. I'm going to talk about uh, I'm Dying Up Here, okay. that show. Yep. Uh, and there's great people in it. But I think there's some funny things about it, like, uh, boy, they're really deadly serious about comedy. I mean, it's like there's certain things... The way the show is has nothing to do with the specific actors. And I think if I go too much into the thing of like, oh, I have friends on the show, it's not really doing the speech uh, service. It almost calls more attention to it if mm -hmm. I go, don't get me wrong. Like if you're pulling punches, yes, people but, will smell but, it. But I still can say it's hardest when I have mixed feelings about things. Like when I went after Louis C.K. one year, it was people, a lot of my friends got mad at me <laughs> because... You know, he's a very talented guy. It wasn't like... What did you say about him? Uh, Pretentious. I did, uh, I did a thing about how... Well, first of all, I said that he, his fashion sense is American Gervais because he wears those same T-shirts. Uh, <laughs> and then I talked about how he always brags about changing his material every year. And it was a whole bunch of stuff, mostly about... A lot of the how how he was being embraced as the like how he was marketed by the uh, masses, marketed yeah. as the like you know the woman in New Yorker said the greatest comedian of all time and all that stuff. So uh, and then I also uh, had said during the speech that I had a falling out. I felt I had a falling out with Louis C.K. in the '90s, and I was kind of angry at him. I've been angry at a lot of people, mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm sure my comedy does come from anger. Yep. But the thing that was good about it was I admitted my own part in the thing because I started to go into the Louis C.K. stuff, and people iced me in a way in the room wow. wherever the room was and then I started to go look it's from my own envy and bitterness and, and then it just came all flooding out so did uh, he did you ever hear from him on he, that one uh, very soon after I saw him at Toronto he came to my alternative show I was hosting there and I felt very weird like I felt why is he coming here but he did a spot on the show and he was very nice to me but I know for a fact he's, he doesn't like it. And I noticed he started dressing better recently, too, wearing suits and stuff. <laughs> so you might have affected Well, him. that's a typical yeah. Louis C.K. thing. He's like, if Louis C.K. wears a suit, then suits are back. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but if he wants to wear the same stained black shirt for seven years, then, that, then, yeah. that, then that's the, <laughs> then that's the cool comic That's thing. the cool sense, yeah. You should start a podcast. Like Mark Maron approach where you, like, you know, win people over slowly. Well, I think this is a, a comment about the nature of podcasts now. Mm -hmm. I have a podcast that oh, you're not aware of. I knew about it. <laughs> Shane didn't do as much research no, as me. You should have a more popular podcast. It's a good... <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, it's actually new. I've only done 12 episodes of I it. See. It's my friend Je uh, Josh Elvis Weinstein, and uh, it's just basically us talking. There's no guests. It's just us talking for as long as... He lives six blocks from me. That's he's a convenient. Really, he's a really brilliant guy. I just go over his house, and every Monday night we have like an hour discussion or an hour, whatever. And we put and we put it up. No editing, just put. It no, he'll. Up. I will edit. We'll edit because uh, there's. I'll uh, a million times we'll say things like, we'll call attention to the fact that we're filming. You know, I mean taping. Mm -hmm. So like he cuts out every. He doesn't cut out every one of those, but me constantly going, 
This is edited. Take that out. Put that in. Take that out. Right. Yeah. But it's weird. It's a weird thing. It's very challenging because I feel good about it in a way because no one can think I started it because it's an easy thing to get going because there's so many of them. It's a marathon, yeah. But it really makes me think differently. Like when I'm in what you're, you guys are doing, it's a weird role for me and I don't listen very well. So even to listen to my friend is hard. Yeah. But and also, as opposed to when I'm a guest on a podcast, like I love being guests on a pod, a guest on a podcast. I, I usually go crazy. I mean, here I'm being serious, but you know this is serious side. But when I'm, I get more self conscious about it being a conversation. And every week I lose that a little bit, and you learn how to do. You start it. to shed it and skill. become acclimatized to yeah. what it is. Um, I kind of wanted to touch a bit on you were on Everybody Loves Raymond. Sure. I guess just the mindset of like being a working comedian, you know, everybody wants a break, all that stuff. What's going through your mind when you book that show? Well, uh, like it's a network show. That's a big deal, that right? That was a big show. And they, you know, it was one of those things that was a sleeper show. Yeah. It was during a time period where network, CBS wasn't doing very well and they didn't have a hit for a long time. And then that show broke through. I was very lucky. And this has happened to me in almost every job I've gotten. A lot of the writers for that show, Phil Rosenthal, the creator, and some of the writers, we would meet every Sunday for years to have breakfast in L.A., uh, and it was just great. Eddie Gordeski, all these guys. So uh, I was, the same year of Everybody Loves Raymond, I was actually cast in a pilot called The Breaks with Michael Chiklis. Oh, yeah. And, the Commish. Uh, what's that? The Commish. The Commish. Mm -hmm. And it almost got picked up, but it didn't get picked up. But Raymond got picked up. They wrote the role for me, Andy. So uh, I didn't have to audition or anything for it. And it was just always, it wasn't like completely me, but it was based on me. Sure. And, and it was my name, so. You're playing a version was, of yourself. Yeah, and so it was an amazing experience. I mean, it was kind of overwhelming in a way because it was such a popular show that I felt, I don't know, sometimes I felt weird. I, I felt in general weird at that time in my life. But, I, but, you know, it was such a popular show. So like at the craft services, they'd have all the latest we know when those cured coffee things first came out? I don't, you know, where there's the one thing makes the a cup pot, of coffee? Yep, yeah. yeah, I don't like them that much because now I'm a coffee snob. But back then it was like whatever we wanted to eat, whatever we wanted to do. And when you're a, a, a recurring character on a, on a multi-camera sitcom, it really is the easiest job in the world because it's not a one-camera shoot. So you, I would just come in and be relaxed. But I did really enjoy the live audience thing. Like well, that, it, they shoot it almost like theater, right? Like you walk on, you do yes. your bit, and you walk off. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Except that they have all the cameras set up, and they, yeah. but they do it. Uh, but, but, you know, uh, I grew up loving All in the Family, mm -hmm. and All in the Family. When you were watching it, you knew on a certain level that it was a recording of a live stage play, kind of. Mm -hmm. But it still made it immediate. There was like within that context, it was as real as anything. So I really, as a stand-up, I did love that thing where. You're holding for a laugh. You know, hopefully I don't look out into the audience. But you're, you know, you're if you holding, fuck so. up a joke, uh, does the audience still laugh on like the third or fourth take? If you keep screwing up. I don't think they laugh as much. No. I don't think they laugh as much. But Ray Romano, who was the lead, he was, he would write, because he was a stand-up, he would write alternative jokes for the second Oh, for third, the takes. Or, yeah. He would do a couple takes the, right, uh, the, one, the one way and then try to surprise you. Hopefully you can do... Something with your acting that delights people. Right. <laughs> Are you and Ray close? Uh, I, I mean, I don't see him every day, but he's, I would say he is. Uh, I, I, I love him, and I respect him. I think he's hilarious, and uh, I can't think of a better person. And he's always been very supportive of me, and uh, so I really like him. I, I see him a couple times a year because Phil Rosenthal, who was the creator of the show, right. has parties and stuff. So I really love him. I root for him all the time. Well, I don't have to root for him. <laughs> He's okay. doing great. Well, lastly, are you somebody that plans for the future? Are you a planner, or do you take things as they come? This is a thing that I think has a, a great thing about aging. Now, there's bad things about aging, like death. Sure. I don't like that. Mm -hmm. But the good thing about aging is that you just let go of certain things that drove me crazy when I was in my 30s and 20s. It was like, I had to be this. I had to be that. I had to get a sitcom. It wasn't even like I wanted these things. I had to have them, you know. I wanted to be Ray. I wanted to be uh, uh, Chris Rock, David Tell. I would say you never lose wanting. Like anybody who says, oh, I don't like to be recognized or I don't want more, they're lying. So you never lose that ambitious part of I want more. 
but I'm so much better balanced in I really just love what I'm doing. Now, if I didn't love stand-up, I would be very depressed. But I love stand-up, so I've never been happier. And so, yes, I want to do a movie. I've never done a movie. I want to do a movie. But it's not like it was 25 years ago where I would fantasize about, oh, i got to be Jack Nicholson. So I'm really up for doing I would like to have an Andy Kindler show of some type. So, uh, and, I've, and I've had various pilots and things. So th- I, I'm, I, I'm, that I'll always be trying to push for. But I just feel better adjusted, you know, and, and happy. With, like, stand-up to me has never been a better environment than right now. I don't know how you guys feel, but right now there's like... When it's I, huge. It's huge, and there's all kinds of different comics. When I started, comics couldn't say if they were gay. They couldn't... You know, it was like really strict. Not that they could say, but it was very hard. And now it's like the, really so many different types of comedy, and the crowds have gotten better just by virtue of the fact that in the old days, they would sell the comedy club. Come to Schmoopy's. And you wouldn't even know, like going to a movie theater. Come to the movie theater. Well, what's playing? Oh, who cares? It's, it's a, a movie. movie. Yeah. Right. <laughs> now, just the fact that someone can look at a little clip of you online, yep. uh, and they, you're already weeding out people who wouldn't be into it. Yeah. So I'm happy. Do you got anything else for Andy? I'm done. Thanks for your time, my friend. Thank you. This was really fun, guys. Oh, you were great. Thank you Thanks. so much. All right, what's going on? Yeah, how are you? I'm good, man. Oh, you put those earbuds in so you can check the levels that way? <laughs> yeah, I'm like a, I'm a pro. Oh, that's nice. Not really. Um, for the, uh, hearing disabled. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a hearing aid. <laughs> so you're actually in a Netflix doc that Netflix I did. Netflix what? N- documentary. Oh, really? Five years ago, it, we interviewed you for a documentary called Delivery. And now it's on Netflix. Delivery. So I thought I'd let you know. What is that one? It's it's on Canadian Netflix, though. What is it? What was the It's about uh, kind of like life, death, loss, stand-up. It's uh, one guy's having me? a kid. Oh, here, actually. Okay. The premise of the movie is this guy is about to have a kid. So him and his buddies, Sheen being one of them, decide yeah. they're going to try stand-up for the first time. Yeah. So but why? Pro- what does that have to do with the kid? Face the fears. The oh, kid's okay. coming. Yeah. He wants to do something that oh, scares okay. him before his son comes okay. so he can be like And another man. guy, his father was uh, about to die. Yeah. He, it was kind of a weird doc that came together and ended up being really good but In- netflix purchased it so i'm on netflix you're on netflix big oh, time yeah. and your specials on netflix yeah, too. i was too. just watching that, that. Too. but that's second best to that documentary. yeah exactly <laughs> yeah yeah but you're on netflix in america your special yeah this is only on netflix canada mm-hmm. but it is okay. a feature because you guys they ended up coming out here as part of the production interview a bunch of comedians yeah. so you're one of the guys interviewed oh yeah yeah you were great that's funny because patrick who you're friends with yeah um even I- though i said his last name incorrectly like i'm good buddies with Patrick Capolino. You're like, it's Capolino. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I advise him to not have a baby a lot, to just get rid of that kid. So I said over and over again, abortion, abortion, abortion. Yeah. And he just didn't do it. Didn't That's a, In your stand-up special, you talk about that quite a, lot a bit, about too. advising it on abortion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So no kids for you? I don't think so, unless I forget to pull out in time. <laughs> yeah. It's usually what happens. So. Well, it's kind of, how, do you be, how would you be a dad and be a stand-up? Like... Be bad, be a bad dad, I guess. Mm-hmm. I guess that's the number one. Uh, yeah. You gotta be Some bad at one of the it. two. Yeah, you, one of them's gotta go to this back burner. Yeah, exactly. Sure. One of them's gotta go. That's the way you play it. How many JFLs have you been into? I don't know, like seven or eight or something like that. I'm trying to think when I started, 2006 or seven. And I skipped a year, then came right back. Nasty show, skip, nasty show. Then I did my storytelling show. I don't know, man. Probably like seven or eight. Yeah, they're, they're, they're fun. I was gonna say, how do you frame it, sort of, in your yearly schedule when you're sort of plotting out your uh, year? I wasn't gonna come this year, but then I had that Netflix special, so I figured I'd come up and do a bunch of press. That's good. Um, so is it just press? Or are you doing shows? No, I'm doing the nasty show. I'm hosting the nasty show, and that was also cool. If it was some other show, I might not have. But like, nasty show is the one that got me into the festival. You got a history with the nasty yeah, show. Yeah. And so like, to host it is like, oh, cool. Yeah, my agent was like, would you host? I'm like, I would, but they're not going to take me for that. <laughs> That's like bigger people. Do you, uh, when you're out here, go to a bunch? Or do you tend what? to, do you go to a bunch of shows when you're out here? Or do you tend to just sort of hang out and mingle? I like to. This is the first year that I have off for midnight. So I'm going to see what the lineup's like this year. And like mm-hmm. try to like, I saw Ali Sadiq. I want to see Auntie Donna. Mm. There's a few people I want to see. So I got to look at the lineup and see really who's here. I haven't really had a chance yet. Yeah. Have you guys seen anything? Well, last night we were at a... Uh, the Midnight Surprise show, and Kevin Hart came out and did an hour. Oh, did an hour at the Midnight an Surprise? Hour. He did a f- wow. hour, and he wow. said it was all his new shit. It was pretty crazy. He was came to the stand uh, in New York, a comedy club, and I saw him up there like, hey, Kevin Hart uh, wants to go on. They came down because I was waiting to go on. 
And then like Kevin Hart wants to go down, and I was like, oh well, um, stall him. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, what do you mean? It's Kevin Hart. I'm like, yeah, he doesn't know. Just stall him. This guy's about to get off. <laughs> and then I told the MC, like, bring me up. Just bring me right up. Don't don't wait. I'm like, he'll still go on. He'll go on when I'm off. Right. Like, he's not going to leave. <laughs> so, he came to go on. Is that kind of an annoying thing when you're doing... For sure. Like, yeah. People are like, but it's so cool to have some star there. I'm like, yeah, for the audience. <laughs> right. But like, I, I I'm here to do my work set. on. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I don't care. And would you not want to follow Kevin? No, I don't mind following, but I want to wait an hour. Oh, because like, you're It's going to be 10, 15 minutes, then fine. But if it's like, it's going to be anywhere between 15 minutes and an hour, 20, then I'm like, so should I just wait right by the stage for that long? I don't know. So do you tend to just do your thing and get out? You don't hang around? No, or I'll hang out. But, like, right. you don't want to be forced Sometimes to I have, like, other spots I got to run to. Within the night. You know, nobody wants to wait. Right. I, I, Attell came into the comedy store once when I was still working the door. And he, it was a pop-in night when there was no schedule. Just, like, whoever's here will decide who goes on. So we would have put him on. But he goes, he didn't know that. And he was like, I don't want to bump anybody. And I was like, no, nobody gets bumped. And somebody else was like, some other comic, some young comic. She was like, uh, I'm sure no one will mind. I'm like, everyone will mind. <laughs> Like, I don't care if we get Richard Pryor out of the grave. He'll be like, yep, yeah, right after me. Put him on, for sure. Right after me. That's yeah. hilarious. Does that happen to you often, where you're on and it's like, Jim Carrey's here? Sometimes, because I'm usually, I'm usually on, like, late in shows. So then, like, the, they don't want to wait till the very end, so they'll like, go on, like, one before me. Chappelle, the other day, came into the, uh, to the uh, comedy cellar in New York. And so Attell was on second to last, and I was on last. And he usually goes, like, do you want to switch? So I go on last. And he does this thing with Jeff Ross that he's doing here at the festival, which is them both on mics together, and they're just with each other. Dave Chappelle crowd. and Jeff Ross. No, Jeff Ross and David. David Tell. It's called David uh, Tell, right? banging yeah. mics or hitting mics. It's it's uh, the title yeah, something like mics, a dick joke. Like that. Yeah. Oh, okay. Touching mics. Touching mics. But yeah. they just do it late night at the cellar sometimes. Yeah. And that can go 45 minutes, and it's a weird thing. And so if they're doing that, I'm like, yeah, yeah, you go last. Let me do my 15 and get out of here. I'm not gonna wait for you know, it could be an hour. Mm -hmm. So that's cool. But if it's just regular David Tell, I'm like, no, no, you go ahead. I'll, I'll go after you. It's okay. Mm -hmm. So we had that conversation. I was like, no, Jeff Ross. I'm like, you go. I'll go after you. That's what made, she made the lineup. It's fine. Um, and then Chappelle comes in, and he sees Attell, and he goes, oh, hey, Dave. And he goes, hey, Dave, back. And he goes, are you going on? And he goes, yeah, unless Dave goes, yeah, unless you, you, know, you go on. And he goes, no, no, I'll wait till after you're done. Uh, and then he went downstairs. And I was like, oh, that was cool. He waits till after you're done. He goes, yeah, but not you. And I was like, oh, fuck, that's right. <laughs> I'm after you. Fuck. God damn it. So then he's upstairs looking at the lineup, and he sees a tell, and then me, and he goes, "Who's?" Apparently, they told me like, "Who's Ari Shafir?" And they're like, "He's on after the tell." He goes, "Well, he's about to get fucked because I'm wow. going long." <laughs> and so, unbeknownst to me that he was saying that, but Attell goes, "Hey, why don't you go on before me? Why don't we do do the switch so that when Chappelle goes on, I'll be after after Is me, that what you and did? not you." And I was like, "Oh yeah, fucking great idea." <laughs> so anyway, I got off stage. Attell went on. And, uh, and Chappelle had gone down there. I'm like, wait, who's this? And they go, it's Ari Shafir. And he goes, hmm. And then when he saw me, he goes, hey, well played. <laughs> well played. And I was like, thanks, Dave. Thanks. Yeah, you got to respect the hustle there. Yeah. I love I'm that. going on. So is it, everyone says uh, comedians are so competitive. and Nah, not really. Are they not? Only like everyone's real no, young, new comedians. Okay. After like, after a certain point, it just becomes like, Ah, you do your thing. I'm doing mine. So it's not hard to be friends with a comedian. No, because Joe uh, Rogan's one of your yeah, he's good close friend. friends. Yeah. yeah, no, we're not competitive mm -hmm. at all. What are there's, your thoughts on uh, nothing we can be competitive about? Right, <laughs> he gets me in jujitsu. You know, <laughs> I get him in knowledge of Judaism. Like, there's no like <laughs> we don't overlap anywhere. Where we're both really good at something. So you don't have like a feud with any comedians beyond Carlos Mencia? Not really. There's people I hate. Mm -hmm. You know, personally. Is Carlos one of those people? More creatively, I hate him than right. personally. Yeah, I mean, he's a dirtbag, but, like, but like, yeah, those are just, like, people at work you hate. Mm -hmm. But most people really get along. We're all just, like, joking around and having fun. Well, the, the dynamic sometimes, I think, can be more so that, like, not so the competitive nature, but it's like, say you've got a fellow comedian and they get a show. And yeah. then it's like, well, right. where's well, my show? Or you get a show. You, and you don't have one. It's like when your friend cleans up and then you realize, oh, I'm still doing pills, you know, 20 times a week. Yeah. But then you're like, what's that saying about me? But they're like, nothing. They just want to clean up. Right. But you still feel bad about it. Yeah, so early on. But then when you start getting stuff, your friend getting a show doesn't matter to you. It doesn't, you know? right. No, you you like, don't say, why don't I have a show or whatever. No, I'm almost like, when my friends now get like regular like network sitcoms, that I would, I mean, I would hate doing it. I would hate it. The money is the only thing that'd be nice. And it wouldn't be worth it. I make enough where I wouldn't want to kill myself after making, you know, it'd be great to make 80 grand a week, but like, 
the price of that is so big. Making less and being happy is more yeah, valuable yeah, than. Yeah, and less is still plenty. Yeah, of course, yeah. Frank Thomas had this thing once as a baseball player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, when he was. Uh, the Big his, Hurt. The Big Hurt, yeah. yeah. His contract came up with the White Sox. And he was like, I'm going to resign with him. I don't, my agent doesn't want me to say this out loud, but I'm going to. My kids are here. I love Chicago. I'm not going to go anywhere else. And he, he's like, there's no difference between 12 million and 20 million. Mm-hmm. My lifestyle will be the exact same. It's a big difference, but like, not in terms of how it's going to affect my life. Right. So honestly, once you get, I heard this study once that once you get over $88,000 a year, your happiness level does not go up with money. Mm-hmm. I'd read that. Until yeah. then, it does. And it might be inflation. Let's say it's 120, let's just say. At some point, though, it's like, what do you need? Like, it's not helping you. You just have a day job. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so when my friends do get those dumb sitcoms, it's always like, there's no gel. It's just like, how is that? Is that all right? Or yeah. the other people cool to work with? I just like want to know about it, but I'm like, I'm not, I don't want to do it at all. I don't want to do a weak guest starring role on that shit. Right. So, well, I guess lastly then, looking forward to the future, are you somebody that sort of plans for the future? Are you day-to-day somebody guy? what? Are you somebody who plans for the future nah. as far as your career goes, or are you a day-to-day guy and just no, kind of take it? No, I'm like it? hour to hour. So like <laughs> the next hour. No, I'm not in my life. I'm in my hour of stand-up. Oh, okay. So like gotcha. planning my next hour. Of I thought you were comedy. like maybe I'll get I a sandwich in a bit. Yeah, about an hour. <laughs> yeah. No, I plan my next hour of stand-up. I try to like focus it a little, but then it's like, nah, I just work on shit now. Yeah. And then at some point, people are like we should do something with this or take this to a festival. I'm like, yeah, it sounds cool. Let's do that. Just. Whatever happens, happens. You yeah, just work yeah. on the hour, and then yeah. you let it happen. Who do you think has the best hour out right now? Best what? Hour of stand-up right now. What do you mean, like, currently, not recorded? It's a great yeah, question. Yeah, just who's your favorite stand-up, I guess. Oh, right. Okay, well, that's different. Uh, Burr is pretty great, Bill Burr. Mm-hmm. I always like him, and Kurt Metzger. Those guys always get me laughing really hard. Um, yeah, we saw Burr in Toronto. Yeah. What the fuck was that? Remember what it was? What was the festival? On this special? Yeah. Was it just for laughs? I don't know. But anyway. September, last September? Yeah. Yeah, he was killing right then. I saw him right before that in Edinburgh. And he was doing the whole August. bit about the, the airplane pilot being calm. Being what? Calm. It's like they almost have to practice. They're like, <laughs> yeah. as the plane's getting all Hello, fucked up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he was great. And yeah, I'd never seen him before. I, really? Yeah, I'd heard uh, him on some stuff, but I'd never seen killer. him. He's a killer. Man, he always makes me laugh so hard. He's always got new stuff. Yeah. Um, Actually, yeah. here's a question. When you get Rogan, a, Rogan's new stuff is great. It's great. When you sort of do a Netflix deal, you get a special on Netflix. How do the mechanics of that work? Are you sort of... How do I what? The mechanics of it work. Are you somebody that's super in the sort of the minutia of the deal? Or are you kind of like, hey, I'm just happy to be on Netflix? No, I'm an outsider. So I don't really... Uh, I kind of have a DIY career. So, like, uh, I get involved in all that stuff. Like, exactly what does that mean? So when can I do this with that? When can I put it up on audio? Or can I not put it up on audio? Like, right. I want to know everything. So, like, I don't want to have questions later. And I'm like, well, can we change that? I want to do, here's the reason. And it's like, I shot this on my own and then sold it to Netflix instead of, instead of them doing it because I don't like notes. I don't like people telling me mm-hmm. what to do. So, like, I'll just have my own budget for stuff. So, like, uh, I set up the stage at Cap City Comedy Club. We set up, we made a new stage and lighting was there. And I was like, I want to put the lighting the day before and the stage the day before. So I know what it feels like to have that stage and that lighting there instead of having the regular stage, you know, with the shitty backdrop. Yep. And then and then the next day when I'm filming, have it be new. I'm like, it's I want to I want to already have it like two shows done. I'm like, okay, but that's you can do that. It's gonna cost you like ten thousand dollars. That means we have to have the union guys be on two days for setting up and taking down. And I was like, yeah, do it. It's worth it. Wow. But then other things are like, we need a stand-in. I'm like, no, I'll be my own stand-in. Save a thousand bucks on that, right. and then like I'll do that myself. But, like, if you're having some other company do it, like, they decide. Right. So I'm like, no, 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 no. I know what's best for me. So do you sell your special after you shot it? Or yeah. was it a yeah. pre- yeah. good See, that's, that's a leap of faith, too, right? Because oh, for you're, sure, man. And you're I had one shot at it. I had one shot at it. It was pretty much, it was about 60% of my, my money that I'd Fuck. saved up. Put it all into it. Mm-hmm. And then, like, if this fails, lesson learned. I, I can't do it anymore. I'll make 10% of it back on iTunes, let's say. So um, you made it all back with the sale to Netflix? With the sale, yeah. Amazing. So then it's, that's all I'm going to do. Just do my own shit. Wow. Fucking yeah. Good for you. Congratulations. Yeah, thanks. Right. Well, thanks. thanks for your time, man. Yeah, you're welcome. Right. Nice talking to you guys. Likewise. Appreciate it. Go f*** himself so you see him. <laughs> Hamilton sucks. Hamilton sucks. <laughs>
Uh, I know where this is yeah. going. <laughs> but uh, Max doesn't know what we're talking about. But uh, <laughs> originally, my plan was, you know, every week I'm like, oh, you know, what am I going to talk about on the dessert? Try to plan it out a little bit. My plan was at least to go to the John Mulaney. <laughs> so I, so yeah. we got these, thankfully, through uh, much in comedy and PR and all that stuff. They gave us tickets to Mulaney. They gave us a bunch of tickets. Jenny Slate, Mulaney, Mike Birbiglia, uh, and Bill Burr. And so we were figuring out, as we do in the podcast, everything's democratic. Like, oh, how are we going to split it? If, like, Max goes to one, Shane's going to go to one, I'm going to one. So I had, I guess, suspiciously to Shane, extracted myself immediately from Mulaney. So I was like, how do you want to break this down? Give him to Max, give him to Shane. And then we started scheming. And then... Mike's like, oh, I'm uh, I'm taking Matt McPeak out, who's our friend who's getting married on yeah. this weekend. He goes, I'm taking him out on Thursday. So historically, everyone that's gotten married, whether it's me or Shane or any of our friends, we rent out a suite like in this local Hamilton hotel. And basically we fill it with a bunch of beer and, and pizza. And we kind of send the guy off to his marriage the night before the marriage. But I had heard the week before at our baseball that Peak's now wife legs was not having any of that mm -hmm. so out of just kind of like oh man i'm like did any is anyone gonna do anything for peak on like the tuesday i just texted him like hey do you want to get a beer or something like i know you're getting married in a couple days and i knew friday wasn't gonna happen so i'm like you want to get a beer he's like actually thursday would be amazing so i'm like okay give the tickets to max he's a big john mulaney that's like your favorite comedian yeah my favorite guy you're gonna go on some date night with Lauren. Yeah. Probably produce some hilarious story. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing came of that, but no, it was a great show. It was an amazing show. So we go hang out with Peak for the the Thursday night. We're reminiscing about old times. He actually went over kind of uh, his wedding speech with us, yeah. which is, is kind of unusual to do because I I like hearing it in the moment, but I'm also I can't wait to hear things. And I thought maybe you know we could help him out a little bit. I think we gave him like. Two pointers or whatever. He he was a little nervous about it, but this speech we know he's gonna f kill it because it's it's amazing the way he kind of crafted it out. Then all of a sudden, some other people start showing up, and it's turning into a little bit of a party. Like uh, Mike's brother Greg shows up, uh, Dan shows up, Felix shows up, and I'm not drinking right now, obviously. So I'm like, okay, I'm I'm gonna leave. Yeah. I was like, this is perfect. <laughs> Max just laughs. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> the guy who drinks the least is all up in arms about it. Uh, the second I leave. I get a text from Sean Dawson. He goes, oh, I just got a text saying that I'm Peak's best friend and I have to organize tomorrow's event. Yeah, we tried to do this nice Thursday night gesture. Yeah. And at about like 11 o'clock that night, word comes down that we're doing the suite the next <laughs> night anyway. And I came into Hamilton. I was like, what? I was like, if I'd known Friday was good. So it all was happening anyway. And yeah. I should have just left well enough alone. I'm a little pissed. Because, well, I've given up the John Mulaney tickets. And, I'm, you know, every week there is a little bit of pressure to produce some something to talk about. Like, I do want to talk about pop culture stuff at some point. <laughs> anyway, next morning, I get a text from Mike. It's like, oh, dear God. And it's just a screen grab <laughs> from Frank D'Angelo. And it includes a promo that... In fact, the Being Frank Tasa Danforth special is going to be airing this Friday. People may or may not know this, that we, Mike and I recorded a special for the Being Frank show at the Taste of the Danforth. So I'm like, oh, damn, I really want to see this, and I don't want to miss Peak's thing. So I'm like, okay, f*** it. I'll just record it. I'll watch it later. Yeah. So it's something to look forward to. <laughs> okay, so now it's time to go to Peak's real event where... All the champagne boys are coming out to uh, support Peak. And even people who aren't champagne boys. People I don't really know that well who are more Peak's extended friends. I'm a little nervous about this night because this is kind of my first party that I'm out as a sober man. Being heckled and stuff, sure. Exactly. But luckily, early on in the night, one of the guys there reveals that he's dating his ex-girlfriend's best friend. Uh, I had heard about this. He told me in Miami. We had like late night uh, tacos together. And this is kind of a new breakup. So this is very scandalous. Scandalous. Yeah. So we're like, tell us more. Get in the middle of this crowd. So we kind of clear like a circle, kind of like you would for like a, a break dance off or something. Yeah. I kind of wanted to start Mike on Munching him, like by going deep on like, does she know, blah, blah, blah. But then we clear the circle. He lays down and everybody starts jumping in. It was, it was very weird. He was just, lay, it was like a therapy session, but well, he was laying, he down? was laying down and just <laughs> in the middle of the, the floor, like looking up and he's like, I'll answer anything. Just ask. So 
you know, every question under the sun that you'd want to know about this extremely odd circumstance. His girlfriend apparently is very cool with it. Ex-girlfriend. She actually... She set, kind of encouraged it, right? She set them up. Yeah. And it's it's kind of a blast. Like, we're, we're really having fun. And then someone comes up with the idea... Like, to make it, like, spin the bottle. So <laughs> we kind of start, we spin Rob. Oh, wow. We've, we've decided that it's the circle of truth. Oh, I like And it. Rob lifts his legs, and like a break dancer, we spin him on his back. And wherever his feet land, mm-hmm. you are now going to go into the circle of truth. Oh. Yeah. You know, so all my favorite questions are being asked. It's yeah. like, you know, uh, out of all your ex-girlfriend, who is the whitest like, who is the hairiest one who shaves all this like and i'm asking all these questions by the way because it, it was getting pointed at me like an inordinate amount of times which I, I was kind of enjoying we're laughing we're like shaking the entire building at this point and then there's a phone call we're like oh shit we had been warned we're gonna get kicked out of this place yeah if naturally yeah it, it, you know if we're riled up but we have a bit that we all just quiet down and Mike's brother, Greg, pretends like he's sick and in bed. <laughs> so it's like, it's like, ring, ring. It's like, sir, there's been a noise complaint coming out of your room. And Greg's like, uh, no, man, I've been in bed all night. It, it must be another room. <laughs> and they're kind of like, cut the bullshit. We, they're like, we know it's you, okay? Just, just keep it down. That's a good bit. Yeah, I thought it was really good. And then the nut is like, all right, guys, uh, almost time for being frank. Settle down. We all got to pay attention. <laughs> I wasn't fearful at all up until this point because now I actually remember that Sean Menard, who directed The Carter Effect, the night before we were to record with Being Frank, he asked to go out with a, for a drink with me. But he was doing the color correction for The Carter Effect. So I was sitting at a bar alone you know, half an hour would go by. I'd be like, I'll be there in half an hour. Another half an hour. So I'm just drinking alone. I ended up having like 12 drinks to myself, just got drunk, and then it got to be like 1 a.m. This was the night before we filmed the Being Frank segment. So I wake up and I'm like, Mike, like I'm in horrible shape. I have to do like, <laughs> if you've ever seen the movie Flight with Denzel Washington. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> you, know when he, <laughs> you know when he sneaks into the hotel bar and gets really drunk and Goodman needs to sober Denzel up for trial? That's what I have to do to myself because I'm honestly considering backing out. <laughs> so, and I look horrible, by the way. I'm like bloated the next day. Like I look like I'm 20 pounds heavier than I actually am. All this is flashing into my memory as now I'm about to watch the Being Frank show with 30 people. In this hotel room. And these people are known for, like, all we do is make fun of each other. Anyway, Being Frank show starts. My first line is like, hi, I'm, I'm Shane from Mike How Much, and this is Mike, and I'm introducing you to Frank. And it's this very awkward introduction. And the nut is just like, this is horrible. This is, <laughs> is going to be one of the worst things you've ever done in your life. But he's like, but let's give it a shot. Let's give it a shot. <laughs> Goes on. And I just, I'm like mortified. I'm like, I actually look worse than I thought I would look. Like, I just, my face is fat. I look ugly. I'm hoping no one's looking at me. And then someone in the crowd goes, well, at least Mike looks good. And then everyone laughs. And it's this guy, Paul, who doesn't even know Peak, really. So I'm like, why the <laughs> Are you even here right now? <laughs> so I'm like trying to get through it the whole time. I've got my shirt over my nose like this. I'm just humiliated. I'm sinking in the chair. It ends. Everyone just starts laughing, making fun of the episode. Now it's time to go to the karaoke bar. I'm hoping that everything has blown over and people will stop talking about it. By the way, I am still sober, obviously, and everyone else has totally lost their inhibitions. So people are kind of like talking openly and like making fun of me more than they might normally. <laughs> and I catch up to like a, a couple of the people as we're walking to the karaoke bar. And it's like, yeah, what was wrong with his face? <laughs> and then Mike, Mike is in this conversation. He's like, you know what? I think it was just a mustache issue. Like something was off with his mustache. <laughs> and then AJ's like, no, his face was just weird. It was like really sweaty. It was just so sweaty and disgusting. <laughs> and I was a- trying to have your back. Yeah. And then AJ sees me. He's like, yeah, you just looked really bad. He's like, <laughs> he's like really bad. Maybe not if you didn't know you, but if you know you, you look really bad in that. <laughs> and I'm extra sensitive at this moment because... Because you're pregnant. No. <laughs> no. Oh, no, you're white. I'm pregnant, I'm bloated. <laughs> yeah. No, it's because... This is kind of tricky to talk about, but 
Peak's wedding is the next day, in some ways, it's kind of like a high school reunion. Yeah. People from your past. Sure. People from my past, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to look really good. So I'm like super feeling weird. Like I'm like I'm ugly. I look bad. This is going to be bad for the wedding. I sneak out of the karaoke right after we do our little song for Peak. And I'm like, I'm not taking an Uber home. I'm doing a little jog home. I'm doing it for fitness. I got to look good for this wedding. So I get to the, the wedding. I see some of the people from my past who don't like me. They're kind of looking at me. I'm like, okay, now I'm feeling awkward. I need something in my hand. I still want these people to think I'm drinking. So my plan is to put, like, there's coffee there that they're serving. So I want to put coffee in a normal plastic cup, like the drink cup, and have it look like a rum and Coke. Right? Okay. So I'm like, I, I go to my friend Sean. I'm like, hey, do you think if I put the coffee in this plastic cup, it'll be okay? He's like, yeah, absolutely. So I go to put the coffee in the cup, and it just, the cup disintegrates. <laughs> yeah. And all the coffee starts going everywhere, and it's like going through the table. And all these people are like looking at me, and I'm awkward. Nut can see this. So he comes over. He's like, you get out of here. I'll take care of this. <laughs> so he cleans up everything for me. It's like he knew I was feeling so awkward. The nut, the fixer. And then Greg Veerman comes over to me, Mike's brother. He's like, man, what's wrong with your face? And I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, your face is right now. On one side of your face, you have sideburns like Jason Priestley from 90210. <laughs> and on the other side, it's like clean shaven and like manicured like your prince. <laughs> and I'm like, oh. So now I'm feeling so self-conscious at this wedding. I honestly, I, I just want to leave. Like, I'm feeling horrible. I'm sober. And it's kind of hot there. I'm sweating. Then I see Peak. I go to give Peak a hug. I'm like, oh, you look great. Like, I'm like, how are you feeling about your speech? He goes, you know, I was really nervous about my speech. Uh, but then I saw your Being Frank show, and now I'm feeling great about it. <laughs> That's it. That's all. That's our episode. Thank you so much for listening. You can find us online on Twitter and Instagram at Mike on Much. Please leave a comment and ratings in iTunes. It really helps the show grow. If you're a fan of the show, post it on your Facebook or tell a friend. That makes a huge difference. And if you have any comments or questions, tweet them at us. You said it, Maxie. The Michael Much Podcast is produced by Max Kerman. I'm your host, Mike Beerman. Shane, you got anything to add? Nope. See you next week. We don't die on the weekend.